the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomCastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomCastPod.com. All right, another week, another bloody installment of the Fear Street trilogy has dropped on Netflix. This time we go back to 1978 to check in on those happy campers from Camp Nightwing who love nothing more than David Bowie doing drugs and banging in the bunks. To help me break down part two of this Fear Street trilogy and continue our conversation after we reviewed part one last week, we bring back Horror News Network writer and captain of the Shady Side Blue Team, Larry Dwyer. How are you, sir? Welcome back. Hey, what's going on, dude? I am good, man. We'll go right into it, man, because we have a lot to talk about between, you know, the continuation from part one into this one. What did this one do? And then obviously later on, we'll get like kind of spoilery and and talk about what we think uh, or what we want out of part three, probably more to the point. But we'll get right into it, man. Like this one, uh, I turned it on, you know, Friday night appointment viewing. You know, I mm-hmm. was... I was psyched after, uh, you know, 1994 did enough, as we said. Like, it was a good film. It definitely left a lot on the table. We had a lot of lingering questions, a lot of intrigue, a lot of things that we wanted to to see. And and I think the conversation with you and I were kind of like, part two is going to be more our vibe, more our speed. Like, the 70s and 80s kind of like, you know, whether it be a Sleepaway Camp series mm-hmm. or any of these you know, things that come to mind that we watched repeatedly uh, when we were younger, that this might obviously echo more of that than, say, the 1990s stuff that we got in part one. Sure. We'll start there. I mean, the the homage part of it, the, the bringing back to the camp part, mm-hmm. you are a person who is well-steeped in horror. Did you see anything, like, I know from listening to interviews with the director what she used as influences did you kind of pick up anything or do you feel like a lot of things just carried over from part one? Oh no 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 not at all um frankly i question why they called it 1978 when this was clearly 1980s friday the 13th down to the music sure they basically reused harry manfredini's brilliant score and some of the cam camera angles camera shots inside the cabins uh, you know, you get that real high pitch and, and the camera like panning behind uh, an actor or actress as uh, they're being scared by something happening or not happening in the cabin. This was all Friday the 13th. Yeah, that's that's what this was from beginning to end, with the exception of uh, the Sheila character being a basic clone of Judy from Sleepaway Camp. Um, <laughs> sure. Minus, minus the curling iron. Right. Like she was I you remember the one who tortured uh poor Angela in Sleepaway well poor Angela, I can't really you know, <laughs> spoiler alert if you haven't seen Sleepaway Camp, just give it a watch. Sure. But um yeah the Sheila character was basically just the same mega bitch that uh that that Judy was in Sleepaway Camp. But the rest of it was and again it's an homage I'm fine with that. Right. You know, they did it with Scream in, in uh, 1994 and 
now they're doing it uh, with with Friday the Thirteenth, and I'm good with that. You know, right? Listen, there's I mean, there's plenty. You know, you go back to the '70s and '80s. There's plenty of great camp horror films, camp slasher films. Sure. From from the burning to sleepaway camp, you know, there's tons. But Friday the Thirteenth is the most popular one. Absolutely, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you're gonna pay homage to one of them, it's it should be that one. And they did a they did a great job. Like I said, I like the the nod uh, to Harry Manfredini's score. Um, you know the, the little sound effects when the killer's coming and everything. You know they they just stopped short of doing the. Sh- 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 <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. I was waiting for it. I was like, all right, just just throw it out there, man. You know he's got the bag on his head. Might as well just you know throw that out there too. But again, I thought it was cool. I liked I liked uh, I liked those homages. I'm I'm good with it. I came to expect something after watching the first one, and uh, and we got it. We got it. So I'm curious to see what the homage is going to be in 1666. Is it going to be all the witch? I don't, I don't know. Where else can you go with this? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of ones, and we can get to that when we kind of preview forward. But uh, I know the director was in the interviews that I heard. She was way more psyched to do 19, or excuse me, 1666 more than any really? any of the other ones. Interesting. Um, for strictly things like she wanted to do more handheld, which she started to do more in this film. Mm-hmm. And then obviously she's just a more fan of that particular source material and that type of genre, even though mm-hmm. obviously she's already shown so many of her influences to this point. And to echo something you said too. Yeah. I mean, the Nightwing killer, we already knew that he, yeah. you know, was a, a, you know, a Jason descent, a Jason copy uh, of some sort. Um, you know, an inspiration there. And then the one thing I did want to say before we get into some of the plot stuff here is I actually thought for how many things that they tried to do to make it seventies and kind of show their influences with stuff from Mm -hmm. that era or even the 80s stuff, obviously with Jason, I thought there was a common theme where she just really loves scream. Like, I think there's, (laughs) there, there's a a true characterization here Mm -hmm. in terms of the tone, the snark, the kind of self-aware dialogue and characters that really is way more scream than anything else. Sure. Where I think, I don't know if that's to try to keep consistency between the trilogy or Mm -hmm. whether it's something that she just admires on a high level that, you know, it kind of goes through. I, I, I think it works. I think it helps glue everything together. But I, even though with that said, I still think the characters are way better in this film than what we started with. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think whole, wholly from beginning to end, this is a better, better film than the first one, you know, and, and I see what you're saying. Uh, you know, these characters talk the same. They have the same vibe as the characters from uh from 1994 yeah they kind of like know they're in a horror movie you know it's that kind of vibe and you don't always get that that's very much a a screen uh scream type thing or at Mm -hmm. least that was the the kind of carbon copy thing for the 90s horror she even mentioned like influences like the faculty or you know uh i know what you did last like things like those type of things and a lot of them have that same similar type of dialogue yeah, that was on. the 1990s horror movie, man. That's how they all pretty much were. Yeah, you it's know, self-aware. Very, the and characters very, were very self-aware. Yeah, and referential. And, mm-hmm. and and that's what we're doing here, too, which fits Netflix perfectly. Uh, and just for a little production backstory, too, th- 
they did not shoot these movies in sequential order. They actually shot this one last. Oh. So so I guess maybe we're going to see more of a, a momentum between the first and the third and this one kind of being the set piece in between because it feels like that's how they set these up in terms of how they shot them. Um, so so this one definitely, you know, if it feels a little different, it might be on on purpose. So um, we'll see. And one of the things I did want to also say, you mentioned the music. Uh, again, we have the music composed by Marco Beltrami, who did all the Scream films and, mm-hmm. you know, Oscar nominated. Uh, yep. But he also brought along the difference here is Brandon Roberts, who he's worked with a bunch of times on many films, including like A Quiet Place and Logan, things like that, where he's added additional music. So if it feels more of like that tension of stuff that he's done, because he didn't work on the Scream films, or if he mm-hmm. did, maybe the last one. But, you know, so if it feels more reminiscent of his newer stuff, then that's why on that level. But so going forward, obviously, we're, we're we'll get into more of the plot details now and kind of give you the overall conversation uh, as this is unfolding between critics and audiences all weekend long. Right now, it is the number one movie on Netflix, but it is the number five overall, which is concerning to me a little bit. I know this is a very niche thing, but mm-hmm. both movies are still in the top 10. So I don't want to like, you know, get it twisted at all but it is like these are literally like the newest you think it should be i would i was thinking this was going to be a number one overall thing mm-hmm. um yeah but especially because you know if, if a thing say the comp is stranger things or something in that realm then obviously those things would shoot right up to the top but i think a lot of things i've learned over over doing this podcast is that their tv series are higher always are higher like if you get a quality one or something that already is established Mm -hmm. that's gonna always you know rise to the top so in in this case like the newest season of virgin river came out the newest season of atypical came out uh i think there was another new season of something so all those kind of floated to the top and this one's right there and then people are obsessed with manifest for some reason um (laughs) yeah yeah exactly so it is doing well though, uh, and and the updated critical scores. Uh, I'll I'll update you on part one where it stands after now we're a couple weeks in versus what we originally had, but it, the story remains the same basically. Uh, Six point two IMDb, sixty seven Metascore, eighty percent Tomato Meter, and sixty four percent audience score with a three point two on Letterbox. I know we kind of looked at that twisted difference between the tomato meter and audience score last week um and the the story with the the new one is that everything except the meta score is up a lot of people are saying this is a better film so you got a 6.8 imdb a 61 meta score instead of 67 from the previous one so it went down there but the tomato meters up from 80 to 89 the audience score is up from 64 to 84 Oh wow! And and the letterbox rating went from three point two to three point four. So overall, I would say it's all positive news uh, mm-hmm. with this sequel, which has got to make Netflix uh, very happy and the creators here very happy because if they need that momentum going to part three, I think they're succeeding right now. Um, yeah. This particular film, uh, like we mentioned, Shady Side, nineteen seventy eight. 
we're in summertime. The activities at Camp Nightwing are about to begin. Uh, but, you know, of course, another Shady Sider <laughs> is gone crazy, possessed with the urge to kill. And uh, Fun in the Sun becomes a gruesome fight for survival. Uh, like I said, this was the last film shot of the three. It was a 109-day three-movie shoot with very little break. So if this is the last one... That's a lot of fatigue going into it, uh, as characterized by the director when I listened to her interviews. <laughs> um, she was like, yeah, by the end of it, she was so tired. She was like, just more blood, more blood. That was, uh, that was <laughs> her mantra as it went yeah. through. Um, one of the big differences, too, I noticed um, from part one to part two is that we have a new co-writer here, uh, Zach Okowitz. Uh, who is the upcoming writer for Bullet Train, which is a very hot movie with Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock and a lot of big people that's coming out soon. And also another more horror thriller with The Last Voyage of the Demeter, Demeter uh, based on the one chapter of Bram Stoker's Dracula. So if you're you know, more familiar with that stuff, um, you know, keep an eye out for that. But so, But a person who didn't write a lot before this, so... He's in here. Some, if you sense the different stuff, they, this is definitely an up and coming writer. Um, so maybe a different tone or a little different dialogue set. If this person was maybe coming in, punching stuff up or right. kind of giving it a different vibe uh, going through. But now I want to get from you, Larry. We kind of like let in with it a little bit of our thoughts overall. I want to know two things and you could do them in whichever order you like. One what did you think of the film overall? And number two, we need a parenting update from last week <laughs> where part one, where some people were like, wow, this is gorier than I thought. Or, you know, some issues there where you felt like maybe it wasn't suitable to watch with your two children. And this film, buddy, uh, a lot more blood, uh, a, you know, a few more gruesome deaths and some drug use and some banging, as I mentioned up top. So how you feeling after watching yeah. part two? So so Friday night, as my daughter realized, like right at dinner time, that uh, that this was available on Netflix and was like, let's watch it. And I was like, oh, God, OK, go ahead and put it on. So she was there. <laughs> Owen was there. Um, and Sadie and I, Sink. I, I had a feeling because we had talked about it. Um, you know, this is the seventies and you're not having a seventies slasher film at a camp without some sex. Yep. And with, and without some pot. And I it's mean, in the just, trailer. <laughs> it's in the trailer. So I had my fast finger thumb ready, uh, my fast forward th uh, thumb. And I, I gotta say, I was pretty good at it. Uh, I was able to figure <laughs> out exactly when it happened uh -huh. and pretty much got the fast forward uh, over right when it was over. Uh, so I was able to, Fast forward through those parts. The kids didn't ask any questions. They know what's up when I hit the fast forward. Button. Sure. Yeah. And your son uh, is still adept at his uh, covering his own eyes. He didn't even have a chance. That's how good I was with the fast forward. Impressive. Like, yeah, I knew it was coming. And I was like, <laughs> nope, hit, hit it. Um, they did catch a little weed smoke, but they didn't say anything. Right. Um, that was your I own, though. That was mine. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. it was my wife's. But uh <laughs> Yeah, they had no idea. Uh, I don't think they know anything. Oh, well, you know, we'd be surprised at what kids know. So who the hell knows? It's I can't true. Really say, you know, I, I, I don't want to know really what they know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I did let them watch it. Um, it was definitely gorier. Now, I, I will preface by saying that my kids are used to uh, watching a, 
a gorier film than most kids. Sure. So I would not recommend this for the normal kid who's, <laughs> you know, the scariest movie they've watched is maybe Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say, hey, yeah, put sit your kid down and, and let him watch this. This right. is uh there's a lot more. I mean, you know, we when we, when we discussed uh, 1994, we were like, wow, the gore doesn't really, you know, after the initial scene in the mall, you know, you don't really get much until until the end. Right. Uh, not so much in this one. This yeah. one, this one, you know, it, it, it hits fast and hard. There's a there's a lot of it. And it's satisfying. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's well done. It's it's good. It's uh, clever and fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, and definitely, uh, like I said up top, I think this one is. I agree with basically everybody except the meta score here. I think part two is better than part one mm-hmm. uh, for multiple reasons. But first and foremost, it's character and performance uh, led by Emily Rudd and Sadie Singh, too. Uh, I thought, you know, it's a more deeper and more convincing, more contentious relationship than the sibling pair we got in part one. Yep. And I think it's the backbone of what makes this movie work. Uh, yeah, Because totally. you're seeing the multiple levels when they get apart. You know, I think they stage that very well. And mm-hmm. then I think bringing them back together and the meaning behind what's going on and, and you know, in a way, it's still a lot of that woe is me, I'm a shady cider stuff, right, at, yes. at its core. But From multiple people, too, not just from the sisters. For sure. But, yeah, Alice, Alice as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's easily like this defeatist attitude that seems to carry over uh, no mm-hmm. matter what decade we're, we're looking at, um, which is going to be there. That's fine. But uh, to me, I think when you add the sibling element where someone's trying to get out and then someone's more deeper into their depression about being uh, a shady cider and then kind of seeing the back and forth and, and, and having that all pay off at multiple stages throughout the movie. I think that works very well. Um, and I, like I said, Emily Rudd, I think is the best of them all. Her character is so well-defined. She has to go through multiple traumatic and emotional levels. And I think she does it with ease um, you know, and, and every pairing she's caught up against, whether it's a, an ex-friend trying to kind of reconcile while being, you know, <laughs> chased by a killer or whether it's, you know, going through what, you know, her relationship status. Uh, it, it's definitely complicated, Facebook people. It's, you know, it's definitely changing as the movie goes on. And, and then the sibling stuff on top of that and kind of the loss of dreams or realization stuff that she has to go through and then kind of, you know, heroic moments toward the end. So there's a lot there mm-hmm. with that. I also thought young Nick good. And, and like you said, Alice uh, were also very well crafted, well executed characters. And, you know, like I said, it's also, they could have been so narrow with this, right? Larry, like, cause we've seen so many of these camp slasher thrillers that, you know, they easily could just been one note. But the, yeah, a lot I, of them are. I think a lot it, of them are. I think it very much helps that this is the mid res, you know, with with this story because they're propped up by the lore of this story and what it means going forward. That you get this balance between a slasher film and a, a second of a trilogy film, and also still the mystery of the witch and everything else that it means to characters we've already met and characters we're meeting right now. And I think that works so well 
and there's only a few clunky parts. I'm interested to know what you felt. Uh, we were very scared about the soundtrack stuff for this one. Um, you didn't, Man. you didn't get beaten with Donna Summer. Um, no, but you definitely. Uh, there were several. Ne- I definitely got drops. beaten with some Foghat and David Bowie, though. Yes, two two Bowie songs, yeah. <laughs> two Cat Stevens songs. Um, yeah, I was happy that instead of. Um, I believe in the trailer that they were still in Donna Summer Hell when they were uh, kind of introducing yeah. some of the camp stuff. Instead, we got one of my favorite uh, Neil Diamond songs instead with the uh, Brother Love Traveling Salvation Show. So, uh, you know, definitely I, I, I enjoy that era of music more. So maybe it was more palpable. I think using Captain to me. To Neil as a as a as a down as a down note yeah as a punishment <laughs> is definitely yeah. uh equal there too so sure and definitely a slight eye roll at don't fear the reaper but it was gonna happen that is right torn out of the scream page uh yeah. you know where like we're doing what they have uh nick Cave nick caves like uh red right <laughs> hand and like some of these very uh you know schools out for summer like all these like things yep. that were right on the nose we're not going to be spared, I don't think, in any of these movies, and definitely right. not in the first two films. Where'd you fall there? Yeah, I, uh, I, I didn't. Again, you know, same as you, uh, I appreciate the the music of the '70s more than I do uh, the music of the '90s. So I was happy to hear that it wasn't Gloria Gaynor and Donna Summer all all day. Right. It was some, you know, some good classic rock. Uh, you know, I've heard Slow Ride enough where I don't need to hear it again in another movie, but nope. it's okay. Yeah. it's They used it well. You know, it was a sex scene. Uh, yeah. So fine. Um, I, I think if I had to pick a favorite needle drop, it was, uh, you'd already mentioned Cat uh, Stevens, or should we call him Yusef Islam, whatever you want yeah, to call him these sure. days. Yeah. Um, when the, right before um, the nurse uh, came out to Tommy and they started playing First Cut is the Deepest. Yeah. I was like, good, good job. Uh-huh. That's, that's well done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely well doesn't done. take itself seriously still. You know, it, right. it definitely has enough in the plot that it has yeah. to. But when it's yeah. not, it definitely it plays cheeky. And I think the soundtrack mm-hmm. is a cool part of that. After, obviously, you know, saying all the, the pleasantries here, there is a couple of clunky parts I'm interested to know your opinion on before we get uh, any further. Uh to me, the nurse lane scene, now that you bring her up, the mm-hmm. especially the they're very necessary scenes, but the not the best execution, especially the one with Ziggy getting her burn treated, I thought mm-hmm. was more clunky than the rest. But I do enjoy what her character means to this movie, but right. man, mishandled a little bit there where it got kind of cartoonish. Yeah, it was a little heavy, uh, a little too heavy for, for that early in the film i was you know i thought it was a good you know good bit of knowledge to find out that she was ruby lane's mother um i was like okay but yeah i thought i thought that they they played that one a little little too heavy and uh it came off i I almost want to say it came off silly yeah um yeah for for lack of a a better term it was just it was just a little silly that scene yeah and i enjoyed that tie-in too and it kind of makes the good thing about this being a trilogy and, and and just the solid execution of this film, anytime there was kind of like callback stuff or adding more color to stuff from part one, because she yep. is in part one, and, right. and you kind of now get to see like 
why she was a little more interested in what was going on with the kids and why she's taking in these two children that were being babysat, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and like what is truly going on. Um, but it's good to know she's not in jail. I guess, yeah. or, uh, you know, I, you know, obviously there could have been a lot of fallout for what happened. So we will see uh, how maybe they explain all that or whether, um, or if, yeah. Or if she, oh, oh. she gets saved in the end by what truly was the outcome of this story, um, which could also kind of, you know, paint her more as a hero, let alone right. as a, uh, as a, a person trying to commit murder, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, she was trying to be a hero. You know, I, I, right. I see where she was. Nobody realizes um, really what she was trying to do, but she she cracked the case for lack of a better term and was figured she had the only way to to end it. But I don't know. Maybe they'll tie that up uh, in part three. We'll see. So before we take a break and kind of get into more spoiler territory and kind of, you know, look ahead to part three. Any final thoughts of like why you think this one works better than the first film? Yeah, um, and you you hit the nail on the head earlier. Uh, the the characters really do a better job um, than the first one. The first one, I just never was really invested in a lot of the characters, um, other than Josh. Uh, I I really thought Josh was really good. Right. And the first one, I thought Dina was was pretty good. Um, Samantha, uh, okay, uh, but the rest of them, I was just I didn't really care. Right. Um, this one, I found myself really invested in the majority of the characters, even the ones I didn't particularly really like Alice, but I was I was there. Right. I was interested in, in uh, for her. And by the end, I was rooting for, her. you know, if you build me strong characters, I'm, I'm there for the film. And they did that. They did that here. Yeah, and I guess before we we take the break, one thing I would say is that is that a growing concern in your mind of like that we have better characters that we're probably, you know, we're not really going to see in this incarnation at least going forward and what that means for part three? You know, I had that concern. um, But, you know, once you see the trailer for part three, you realize it's not the same characters, but we get a lot of the same actors. Right. So hopefully you know, the writers uh, can, you know, follow along with part two and, you know, keep them interesting and, and, and give the actors the room to develop these characters. Cause I, I think we've got, you know, a listen, a lot of these, you know, you'd mentioned the one who played um, uh, Cindy was her name was Cindy, right? Mm. I, I don't think I've ever seen her in anything before. Uh, and she did a fantastic job in this. She was a, she's a great young actress. So, yeah, let's give let's give these guys the the material to to grow their characters, and I think we'll be good. Yeah, especially for a movie that I thought was going to have a little more uh, Gillian Jacobs from Community. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, how did you feel about how they tied in like part one to part two? That little intro scene. What do you think you got out of C. Berman? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, C. Berman's fucking batshit crazy, right? <laughs> right. Uh, how many alarm clocks does anybody need? I, you know, yeah. I, I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I kind of want to wait till our next segment to talk about C. Berman okay. because well, I'm a little confused, frankly. Okay. Uh, and I, like I said, I've watched it, I'll call it one and a half times because the first time with the kids, I wasn't truly paying attention. Sure. But my re- on my rewatch, I'm still. I still have questions on the C. Berman uh, character that, that I think we, we maybe you can help me clear up. I'd be glad if you could. Yeah. And, and you know, 
I think this is a, a breakout for Sadie Sink too. I think you know for how much your uh, your daughter's opinion actually matters to me almost as much as yours here, where she idolizes. <laughs> yeah, well, she idolizes uh, Sadie here. Did she enjoy the film and, oh, yeah. and and really loved you know seeing a bigger chunk for her? She she did she did really enjoy it. She's a big Sadie Sink fan. Um, she even watched uh, what was the other Netflix movie Eli. Yeah. Uh, she watched that as well. I think she's good in Eli. I mean, it's she a small is. role, but it's pivotal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially when you realize what she really is and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. She was really good in that. She, listen, she seems to be a really, really talented actress. I, I look forward to seeing a lot of uh, her and other things in the future. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed her in this. Uh, I enjoyed the short, short little preview you get of her in 1666. She looks looks a little crazy yeah um, i'm 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 in for it yeah and, and we'll definitely get into that in uh our next segment where we can get a little more spoilery and look ahead to part three so stay with us through the break and we'll be back in a minute hey there i'm mr black and i'm mr green and we're a couple of guys who met in a comic book store. Together, we host the Pint O' Comics podcast, where we invite listeners to join us to talk about movies, TV, comics, music, or just whatever. Starting very soon, we'll be joining up with the fine folks at Forgotten Entertainment for a special limited series called On the QT, where we talk Tarantino. Every week for 10 weeks, a guest will join us to chat about every Quentin Tarantino movie from Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So join us starting in May 2021. On the QT is available wherever you download your podcasts and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ooh, that's a bingo. Attention, culture consumers. Join me, the queen of queries, Sarah O'Connor, and my band of nerdy knights. Colleen McMillan, Flo Siegel, and Anders Drew on Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms, especially that Star Wars galaxy far, far away. Listen each week as we examine the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, we're back doing a little more spoilery stuff. So if you haven't seen the film and you just enjoyed our non-spoiler kind of, you know, thoughts about the film and a little more color on the production stuff from part one, we're going to take off the Band-Aid here. We're going to rip right into everything. Of course, you know, this is part two of a three-movie trilogy. If you decided to come here and you're not, and you haven't seen what are you waiting for? It's right there on Netflix. Yeah. Just get there and do it. But uh, for those people who are... Clearly different people than me. We <laughs> here's your spoiler warning. But Larry, uh, before the break, we kind of were talking about C. Berman and kind of like your your confusion about her a little bit and yeah. and how that might affect things going forward. What did you see from the C. Berman so, character here? I and again, I maybe I just missed it, which is completely possible because sure. sometimes. Sometimes I watch a movie and I'm just like, huh? Like, and somebody has to be like, what are you, a fucking idiot? Like, they just <laughs> they just explained it and, and I completely missed it. I like, I mean, we're just going to get right to it because this yeah, is a, let's do it. Uh, so, uh, this is this is basically the end of the movie, but I don't understand why Ziggy is still pretending to be her sister. I don't understand why Nick said her name is uh, Cindy. I don't understand why Ziggy's not her why she's not being ziggy no from what i understand her name also starts with c and if you look on the i think no right they they call her christine berman 
and Ziggy's just a nickname. So it, it, it was just basically used as a ploy. That, you know, they're trying to throw you off the whole time, try to make you in, invested in the person with the C name. When, yep. and, and obviously where that pays off in the end with Cindy dying uh, instead of Ziggy, it kind of just throws you off enough to kind of feel gotcha. something more, I guess. Gotcha. At the my, end. my confusion was when, because now I just, I just watched it. He says her name is Christine. But right. in my head, for some reason, I thought he was talking about her sister. Right. So and, that's what fucked me up. And to make and us, I'm like, why is she pretending? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And to All make right. us feel a little more silly, too, considering we were talking so much about David Bowie in the beginning, is that the cat's name is Major Tom. So yeah. it's kind of like a, hey, my name is Ziggy mm-hmm. because I love Ziggy David Star Bowie. Dustin. Yeah. So, yeah. so there is that. But, you know, what do you besides obviously the the little the ploy here to kind of uh you know throw us off to to give us a little more meaning when when the payoff happens at the end what do you think about what we got from her with the the tie-in with the kids in the beginning and kind of what do you think the role that she's going to play now that we know who she truly is and and mm-hmm. how she can help well she was important right because we had a lot of questions after the first one that we needed answered right which is why the kids reached out to her. They found out that there was a C Berman who was the lone survivor uh, from, you know, this, from this mess that happened in 1978. Um, So this part of the story was very important. The kids go to meet her and she's like, all right, sit down and I'll tell you the fucking crazy story. Right. So she goes through the whole thing of what happened in that, uh, that summer camp of, of 78, giving them all of the important information they need to, because look i mean we're we're in a movie right we're 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 in a movie so there's a goal and the goal is these kids dina and josh are going to try to put an end to this so their friend samantha while her girlfriend samantha right can be normal again so that's that's the end that that we're hurtling towards and uh c berman ziggy whatever the hell her name is uh has to provide them with the information that they need in order to make that happen. Right. She wasn't able to make it happen because the body wasn't there where it was supposed to be under the, which answered a big question you had. I was about to say, we'll do a lingering questions <laughs> update because a lot yeah. of what you're saying, a lot of what C Berman colored in, right. we, we do get answered. Yeah. Immediately when I saw that part, I went, aha, <laughs> aha. Yes. Eddie Murphy. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, C. C. Berman had to. This had to be a fill in the holes type story. But what this does well is sometimes a fill in the holes type story ends up not being a cohesive movie. It ends up just being a bunch of of clues, and then you get a to be continued at the fucking end or something yeah, like yeah. that. They were able to do this to make the the you know to fill in all those holes for you, still leave enough holes for you to be invested in the other one, but still make a, a cohesive, entertaining film out of it. Yeah. Which and, is fantastic. And actually that's one of the questions I probably should ask you in part one, quite frankly, but uh, a lot of the, the critics who I saw who didn't enjoy the film or maybe on rotten tomatoes, give it a rotten score. They kind of said like they had issues with the second film because it doesn't stand alone enough for them. I'm mm, like, I think it does. I, I not only that, but I don't think that's a criteria that I care about. Uh, like to I, me, I do. I, I do. I do like, even if it's part of a trilogy, I do like it to be able to still be watched on its own and enjoy it on its own. And that's a problem that 
listen, Halloween 2 is one of my favorite sequels of all time. And no, not Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 people. <laughs> I'm talking about the 1980 Halloween 2. A Watched movie that Carpenter its... himself doesn't even like. <laughs> right, that he wanted nothing to do with. He yeah. wanted to end it at, at one and basically go into three because that's what he wanted. He wanted to make a new movie every year that was a completely different tale of Halloween, yeah. not Michael Myers. He wanted to end Michael Myers with part one. They said, you know, but anytime something's a hit, the studio's like, bullshit, we need more of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he's like, fine, I'll fucking help you write it, but I'm not directing it. Right. Um, so I love part two, but I love part two as a continuation of part one. Like to me, part one and part two together is a perfect three hour movie. Right. Part two on its own is not a strong movie. No. You don't get any backstory because they've already given you that in part one. You don't get. It's not a movie. It really isn't on its own a strong standalone film. Right. So I like that this, to me, I think this is a standalone film. I don't think you even need to watch part one to enjoy part two, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, because I guess you can make that case considering if you do watch part one, obviously there are elements that make this you know, get colored in the lines a little bit more, um, you know, because if you're trying to, to add the the explanations of who Nick Good is or, you know, the 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 backstory of the witch that we already knew before they're leading up to the house and where this is going. By the way, I also want to admit that I am not bright for I went back and I watched the original trailer that they did yep. for all three films just to okay. see, like, if I'm, you know. Now, knowing what I know, is there some Easter eggs in the trailer or something else that might uh, color in something? I totally didn't realize that they actually have a street called Fear Street with Sarah Fear's last name being uh, an actual street in the town. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't what? This, there's an actual Fear Street in Fear Street? <laughs> I was like, oh, I feel really dumb right now. Um yeah, so 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 do I then. Yeah, I, I, I did not. And the fact that her last name is Fear, and we're watching Fear Street, and I never I knew that. Oh like, yeah, I knew that. Even that, <laughs> I just never really like put that together as something I cared about. Maybe, but yeah, I was just like, oh right. Um, <laughs> but to get more back on the ball, I guess you know I do think that this does stand alone. But I think that knowing what you know in the first, you know, does enhance it. Kind of like you know my favorite you know sequel of all time is empire strikes back and you know that is a perfect example of you can go for the ride but if you know what you know from part one and who you know where uh luke is in his development and everything else uh, that you know the han you know leia luke quote love triangle or whatever that's going on there's a lot of things that enhance it that sure. that kind of just continue from part one to part two. So, you know, it's the same vibe here where it's like, oh, ho, ho, you're talking to Nick Good. And, oh, now I know about his dad and why he became a police officer and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So you're kind of like, I know what you're going to be. Yeah, why, you know. why did he drop the note off at your house? Well, now we fucking know. Right. Exactly. Now we know. Because um, you guys you guys were in the Judy Bloom book club together. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> But as we mentioned before, we did have a bunch of lingering questions that we brought up in our review of part one. I kind of wanted to do the update on that because I think it's going to really get some good conversations about where this series is going. First and foremost, uh, you mentioned it before, kind of in the C. Berman talk. We mentioned about where 
stuff is in terms of relation of Sarah Fears remains. As I mentioned in the last one, like they built the mall on top of Camp Nightwing. That was confirmed here uh, that that was the case. But what our question was in the first one is why is the body nowhere near the mall? And then, right. you know, but Camp Nightwing is under the mall. So right. now we know a bunch of things. One, Sarah Fear, you know, we get the connection with her hand and her her sight of her hanging is all under the mall or actually yeah. in the mall. <laughs> in Excuse the fucking me, mall. In the mall. It's a, it's a yeah. showcase piece. Hey, we hung witches from this tree. Let's leave it in the middle of the mall. Yeah, let's not bury <laughs> this. Let's not try to, you know, do the old like uh, Native American burial ground story type yeah. thing here. Let's not do that. Um, yeah. Let's make it real easy for them to dig it up. But now. Again, we, and again, the, the hand is like fucking six inches down. Yeah. Like, nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody's ever. <laughs> no. At least, no dog has ever been like, you know, fucking digging through there. Yeah. And at least, you know, of course, the, it wasn't like the first one where there was a lock with Sarah Fear's last name on it, where it's like, oh, this is definitely her remains. Like this got time, it. you got the hand. <laughs> Did it have like a Sharpie written on it? You know, hand right. for later. Um, right. so, it had a ring. It had a ring that said fear on it. Right. Exactly. Yeah, good call. Um, that would have been perfect. So it would have been. So now they know where the hand is. They connect it with the body because they knew where the body was. So they bring it together thinking they're going to solve this thing and end mm -hmm. it. Uh, and um, now we get another uh, question that we had on here where it was, what do the nosebleeds mean? And why do the blood of those people trigger on the remains? Why does that trigger not only all the big bads to come out of the woodwork, but it also gives them more powerful visions uh, of what's going into the past. And, you know, especially Dina's the one we get here at the end literally puts her in the body of Sarah fear, which right. I think, you know, adds more questions of course. Um, but I think between snooping a little bit forward with uh, IMDB and, and the Ooh, cast listing and stuff. And that's naughty. That's just naughty. I know. But, but it also goes into another question we had, which was, who and where is Dina's dad and why is he a drunk loser? Did he go to Camp Nightwing, etc.? I still don't think we have that answer. And no, I, of don't. course, of the people we saw at Camp Nightwing, nobody kind of like was like, oh, this person must clearly be, you know. Yeah, they didn't focus on, you know, sometimes you'll get that, you know, oh, we're focused on this person, but we don't really know who exactly, it is. And then right. later on, they'll be like, oh, you'll be like, oh, shit. You know, there wasn't really anybody like that. Whoever was they focused on, you know, that ended up being important. You knew they gave you you knew who they were. Yeah. So I don't I don't think it was somebody at I mean, we I could be wrong, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, that whoever her father is, it wasn't one of the Nightwing kids. Sure. Yeah. And especially because unless that person was killed and then brought back to life somehow that we don't know. I mean, these things always right. have these kind of like complicated stories. But even though there is no perfect answer yet, uh, there is a George Fear character in part three that oh. is played by uh, the teacher from Stranger Things, like the nerdy like science teacher. Oh, the who, science teacher? Yeah. Yeah, cool. So, so to me he's too big of a name or like a connection there that it kind of feels like, okay, either he's going to be in the, in the past mm -hmm. or 
he is part of the present that is going to be listed. Because a lot of the people who are in the past go by usually multiple names, meaning that we've seen them in the present and we're seeing them in the past sequence as well. So either he's only in the past or he's only in the present. So we're going to find that out. But it seems like that if, say, her father's a descendant of the witch, uh, and that would make sense why Dina and Josh don't have last names listed either, because, mm-hmm. you know, if we saw their right. last names, maybe we would figure something out. And then, uh, and now why is Dina brought back into the witch's body, of all things, and kind mm-hmm. of reliving the, the horrors from, you know, 1666? That would seem like something that could be a tipping, uh, that this has a family connection, which is something we kind of said about uh, Sam and some of these other people that it's like, oh, maybe they're all descendants of people who were involved right. in some of these things. And we already seen it with uh, Ruby Lane and her mom and, and kind of seeing mm-hmm. that everybody's kind of involved somewhere here. Do you buy what I'm selling you, Larry? Well, I will tell you if that's it. I think I, I think I'm, I may be disappointed. Um, mm. just, just because if they're that deep into this and, you know, nobody realized that Dina's dad's last name is fear and they put fucking two and two together and then <laughs> I'm going to have issues with sure. the, the brain power of this fucking whole town. Right. Um, so if that's what it is, I might have problems. Right. Unless they, unless they do a really good job with other parts of it. Yeah. <laughs> so well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. And, and also, you know, now that we're seeing kind of, you know, people being connected to the site of the witch, or at least maybe in spirit. And then, uh, because like I said, people like Sam, her mom, they all mm-hmm. are in the past in part three that we, yep. with different names. So they're all playing either descendants of themselves or, or some level of connection that they're showing here. So that's going to be interesting to watch. I also, I'm interesting to see if it gets confusing. Yeah. That can, that can get confusing. You know, you're watching the same actors who you just watched last week in a brand new movie playing one character. Right. And now they're playing somebody else. And that can it can get confusing. So I'm interested to see how that how that goes. Yeah, I think they've been super reliable and very easy to digest these first two movies. So I'm hoping Mm -hmm. that it's played more straight, I guess, you know, but but with some kind of twist that isn't as obvious as maybe we're playing it here but also now that you've seen kind of seraphir's house and seeing what's underneath and, and seeing the list of names and kind of the the mm-hmm. the throne that we saw kind of at the end of part two or like this little room um yep. d- do you have any more opinions on like maybe an active witch cult or something that's still going on i almost feel like there has to be something listen i don't what do i know about witchcraft but I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't, I just, I, you know, those, the carvings in the wall of all the, 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 the killers and it just, it, it looks like it's, it's kept up a little too well to just be something that's happening that happened in the past. Right. I feel like, I feel like this is, it, it looks all too good. And you know, it's that there's somebody, somebody running it now. Some, yeah. Someone's, someone's running the show. Someone's, um and what what was that blob what was that <laughs> the the yeah like the, the moss the bug the bug covered no not the moss oh. i'm talking about the blob thing the pulsating oh yeah yeah blob that uh that alice just walked up and touched like, yeah. why would you ever why would you ever 
put your hand on a pulsating blob yeah, covered no in bugs. Nope. What do you, have you not seen Alien? Alien was out. Right. You just, did you see what happened to John Hurt when he looked down <laughs> into that fucking thing? Like, do not go anywhere near that fucking thing. Yeah. Are you fucking crazy? And what is, you know what? So obviously we know that the, the killers spawn from that because we saw the, you know, um, Ruby Lane kind of spawn from that blob of mess, sure. whatever that was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the other thing is, what is that red moss? What is, and why are they pooping into a cave like why is there not a regular toilet system <laughs> right <know>. yeah <laughs> who like just put an outhouse and be like oh fuck it there's a hole here anyway we'll just let yeah. them poop down into the earth it's <laughs> happening yeah and i still think there's more to the good family that's that's we're gonna find out because yeah. i mean well the brother's the mayor right right the brother's the mayor of sunnyvale or whatever right um so uh shady i guess you know the, and the brother's the sheriff in shady side yep even though he was a sunnyvaler so that's interesting to go on the other side of the tracks but is it though because he did like Sadie. yeah 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 ziggy Christine, whatever the fuck her name is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I don't know if I mess things up for anybody else, but she's listed as Constance in the past, so we'll see uh, how that goes too. So everybody's going back, everybody. So that's an old that's an old timey name. So yeah, there's a bunch of like Constance and Abigails and and of all kinds of you know witchy Abigail. sounding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Ode to King Diamond. But okay. we also, I, I wonder, especially you know. They're, they're very seemingly upstanding boys in, in the camp, the the goods. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we also have somebody who moved the body, the moved the remains to never connect the two. So between well, when we, that family I, and know, the cult thing, I think, yeah, is responsible. We're, we're, when we talk about our open questions, um, you know, in one scene, you got one question pretty much answered. Like, why the fuck was the body uh, not, you know, and was it in the wrong place? Because right. if they said it was... You know, so and the but then it sprung forth the, another question: Who the fuck moved it, and why? Yeah, and why did they leave a little note like like Regulus Black and Harry Potter, like when you <laughs> took the fucking you know Horcrux and left the little yeah. you know note in the locket? Uh-huh. So sorry to really nerd out on people, but <laughs> hey, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean that's what it reminded me of. I'm like, okay, so somebody took the fucking bones and left like a cryptic fucking note. Yeah, uh, for for the next person to find. Why would they, you know? And then they told uh, Ziggy, Christine, Constance, <laughs> uh, Sadie uh, that no, we fucking we found it. And she's like, "Holy shit!" Like, you know. Uh, so yeah, that's the answer to one question. You know, why is the body in the wrong place? Sprung the next question in this episode. Well, who the fuck moved the body? Right. You know. So. You know, because if they somebody moved the body, somebody moved the body years and years ago, like, yeah. you know, at least before 1978. Yeah. So who was it and, and why? I'm sure I'm sure we're going to find out in 66, 1666. Yep. Interesting. One more to go, Larry. I know I'm, 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 I'm taking enough of your time these last few weeks, so I I'm, hope you're at least enjoying it. Are you looking forward to part three? I totally am. Yeah. I'm looking forward to part three more than I was looking forward to part two. And I was looking forward to part two. Right. Um, but I was looking forward to part two more on the strength of the trailer from part two than I was on the successes of part one. Right. So, yeah. but I will say that I'm looking 
forward to part three more on the successes of part two. Yeah. So for different reasons, uh, I've been excited for both of them. Um, I, I think I'm more excited for part three because I think part two was such a successful uh, film but we you know we said it had its problems um yeah what what movie doesn't sure what movie doesn't have have its problems we can you know the the strength of a movie is can it get past those problems and still be a good movie i think i think we did here uh this is really entertaining really gory for for the gore people out there um and and done done really well and if you like the the throwbacks to other films. Like I said, this thing is steeped in Friday the 13th yep. uh, down from some of the shots to the Manfredini like score just to, to having characters named Alice, who is the survivor in part one, Friday the 13th and Tommy, Tommy Jarvis from part four. I don't know if they picked the names based on Friday the 13th right. characters, but they're there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it seems like too coincidental for me when you've got all the other Friday the 13th pieces here. Um, and like I said, this is, you know, it's done, it's done right. It's done as an homage and I'm, I'm, I'm all for it when, when people do that, let's, you know, give, give praise to the good movies sometimes and, and they do. And it, it, this, this came out really well. I'm, I was really happy with it. Yeah. I'm very curious to know what they draw from. You kind of brought it up earlier, what they're going to draw from to do 1666 and how much are we going to be in 1666? Is it going to be closer to like 1978 where we're in it? a long time like the duration of the film practically right. or are we going to get like here's Flashbacks here's what or... we know and then we're here in the present to fix it how much of that yeah. balance is going to happen i'm curious to know yeah because the only much... the only thing i've seen so far was the little bit they showed at the end of part two and it's all in 1666 yeah so are you just trying to trick me and make me think that we're going to be completely in 1666 uh i don't think you can successfully I could be wrong, but I don't think you could successfully do the movie all in 1666. Uh, cause then how are you going to, how are you going to wrap up? Yeah. They're, so uh, even like, cause this one bookends. So what would you say? This film's like what, like an hour and 50 or something. And they probably yeah. spend about what? 10 minutes in 94. So yeah. like if it's that ratio again, like, I don't yeah. know if that pulls it off, but I don't think it does. I don't, I don't think it does. I think you need a, I think you need a lot to um you know i you know i'm so i'm so curious because she did what she was supposed to do right at the end of this yeah uh, dina put the hand with the body yeah there it is yeah um so why i, I did it work i don't know you know maybe or is she now maybe, the witch is what? she the witch yeah uh, you know is it going to be this this weird dad thing you know uh are we going to find out if somebody in 1994 is still you know upkeeping the witch's house uh a lot there's there's questions there's questions we need answered andrew yeah i i agree man and and i think i wonder and i guess this will be the last question and then we'll wrap up but like how much do you think the answer to the witch this third movie the mystery uh, you know kind of coming undone how much would you say the reliance on that being a great payoff does it make this trilogy that we've already liked the first two films, the second one more than the first, but mm-hmm. two quality films, if they have a, a clunky, you know, ending here, does that color the other ones like in a negative way for you that you wouldn't revisit or wouldn't recommend? Or is it how much does it have to rely on that, you think? I mean, are you asking me, do do I need them to uh save the day? Do I need them to be successful? 
right. for or, or at least have some satisfaction in the the wrap up of the witch. I don't need it. This can be a completely uh, shady side, you know, downer ending, and uh, they can all die at uh, you know trying, and you know we know that the curse of the witch lives on. I'm fine with that. Yeah, as long as there is an ending, like right. don't. Yeah, don't fucking lead me on and, you know, flash a maybe next year fucking, no, I don't want to end it somehow. You can end it happy. You can end it, you know, know, with shady siders realizing that their lives will never be right. Yeah, Uh, I'm fine with that, too. But uh, I just want I just want a solid movie to to uh, to wrap this up somehow. And even if it's wrapped up by telling me that it'll never be you know, we'll never be without the witch. I'm fine with that too. And I don't need your answer on this one right now. I think I'm going to ask you again next week, but how much would you want to see this done? I saw a, a person in the comments of some of these things going on social media and everything else. People now are like, this is good enough that they, and there's so many fear street books that they can do this again every couple of years. Would you see, are, are there more for, there's more, is it all the same? Well, because there's there's like, I, I, from what I understand, these were like rags where you they, he had like forty of these things, and they just oh, took kind of like the essence and like some carry through storylines and kind of made this. I don't know and if you can make it happen again, but to me, uh, and they're all about Seraphir. Is that? I don't know. That I don't uh, know. I would <laughs> I th- I don't think so. But right. if if it's something where it's completely new storyline, nothing to do with the witch, whole cloth, but we're we're you know going back to the well, doing something where it's three movies sure. again, I'd be yeah yeah. So if the material's there, then you know do it. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If it's if it's there and you can keep the quality, what the quality has has been, I'm I'm there. I'll watch them. Awesome. And then, so you and me now have to get really hard at work for the Hardy Boys version of this to go back to some other kind of like book IP from the 70s and 80s. So yeah, totally. we got to get to work, man. But absolutely. Good seeing you, sir. Um, you too. We will see you next week. We're going to do part three, wrap this story up. And, you know, an, any more updates for Connecticut Horror Fest between this week and last week or no? I don't think so. We did almost announce one last week, but we ended up not. So I think we'll have an announcement this week. Excellent. So we will do that next week. And everybody come on back to to see the exciting conclusion and what we think of it. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. 